0: Welcome to Lewd Asian Artists, interviews with Asian artists from the American South. We are your hosts, Norman and Heidi. Join us for conversations about creating art and reappropriating our lewdness. Lewd Asian Artists is produced by Lucky Chaos, an Asian-American art company in Austin, Texas. This project is supported in part by the Cultural Arts Division of the City of Austin Economic Development Department. If you want to hear more about Asian artists, please subscribe, rate, and review us in your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Uh, all right. I'm pretty excited about our guest today, Heidi.
1: I am too. I've been to his <laughs> house. He has a stage in his house.
0: Yeah, that's not very many people go through the effort of making a stage for their house. It's pretty cool.
2: Because I knew COVID was coming. That's why.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I went to a tarot card reading and it, they told mm. me that, yeah, uh, airborne disease is coming, so I built it ahead of time.
1: It's like Noah's Ark, but comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fit people in by pair.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Are you pairing off all your comedian friends and then saving them at your house?
0: Yeah, you need exactly. two roasters. You need two. Yep. Uh,
2: too queen comedian yeah too dark comedian you know mm-hmm. some ethnic comedian some very <laughs> white comedian um maybe not no newest ck comedian <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah let him, let him, let those <laughs> yeah right.
2: or no bill cosby because uh-huh. people gonna be asleep like in the house so <laughs>
0: Okay, uh, welcome to Loot Asian Artists. The voice you're hearing is Tai Nguyen. Tai, why don't you let our audience know a little bit about your background and introduce yourself?
2: Hey, what's up? My name is Tai Nguyen, and um, I've been doing stand-up comedy in Austin for about five years now. Um, Two years in, I shot my first stand-up special at Stateside Paramount called Pigeon Confetti, which is almost done. It just kept on being worked on. And I'm also working on a documentary on how um, I created my first stand-up special. Other than that, I now host a series of regular show every Sunday at the Santa Cruz Theater at 8 p.m. So you can check that out. Right now, I'm just uh, relaxing, going outside into nature and working on new comedy material and uh, investing in cryptocurrency.
0: Ooh, that is a topical, <laughs> yeah. topical uh, topic there. So you can, yes. if you want to follow Ty on social media, you can find him at uh, on Facebook, Ty Nguyen 512, and on Instagram, Tai Nguyen with a Z at the end. Yes. Now, sir. let me ask you, how did you come up with the name Pigeon Confetti for your stand-up special?
2: I came up with that name when um, I was driving to my second open mic, second time ever doing stand-up comedy and i was so nervous you know i was like why am i doing this it's so nerve-wracking i think i should just go home and then all of a sudden out of nowhere a pigeon flew right in front of my car and i hit that pigeon at pretty high speed because i was driving on the highway and i don't know if you've seen a pigeon get hit by a car before but it's pretty cool like all you see is like confetti it's like uh A confetti pulled fader and it happened so quick that I thought, hey, did I hallucinate or that really happened? My only evidence of that happening is a little mark on my car that shows that it did happen. (laughs) So it looked like pigeon confetti. So my career might be attributed to that pigeon sacrificing itself for me to see it as a supernatural sign for me to keep doing stand-up comedy. I'm happy. Uh, it was a pigeon that I hit, and not a deer or a cat or an owl. An owl would be like yeah. a sign for me not to do comedy. Cause owl mean like death.
1: <laughs> yeah. Pigeons made for pigeons made for life though. You you maybe you kill the pigeon's partner and the and the pigeon kids.
2: I think it's okay to kill a pigeon because pigeons are shitty anyway. They shit on your cars <laughs> <laughs> or they shit on you when you stand under a tree. So They're
1: they cuter have- than
2: Crackle's. Yeah, I mean, if I hit a Crackle, then yeah, I, I wouldn't feel bad at all.
0: So wait, what if you hit like, uh, like a toucan? You know, it's very colorful, oh, shit. tropical. <laughs> what so time um, would that be?
2: I would definitely feel bad. And I would be very confused. Why is there a toucan in the city? In Texas? <laughs> like some zookeeper must have been high on his job. <laughs> <laughs> Let me borrow this toucan so I can
0: show <laughs> off. <laughs> so the death of a bird was the beginning of your career. It's, it's a pretty dark origin story. Would you say it you're is. like the Batman of stand-up comedy?
2: Um, you know, Batman knocks both of his parents yeah. I'm lucky to lose a pigeon that I didn't know before that time. I mean, <laughs> I honor that pigeon by naming my stand-up special after it. So, yeah, oh,
0: true. Yeah, it's a uh, you, you've you've paid back the your dues to that pigeon.
2: Yeah, or maybe that pigeon is in heaven and it's feeling like, man, that wasn't worth it. <laughs> 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 I hate this guy, comedy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I mean, you mentioned like two years into uh your stand-up comedy career you 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 made that stand-up special mm-hmm. um, and and uh so this was the one where you rented out the stateside theater and yes. you invited a lot of people to basically sell it out so you get yep. it uh, recorded right
1: mm-hmm.
0: is 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 two years kind of soon for a, co- a comedian to uh try to do a stand-up special?
2: Um, a lot of people say that it's soon, and it's probably is. If you go by like people's standard,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, how it happened was really organic. Cause uh, my purpose for doing it is to like not perform the same material again. So I want to retire that hour that I had. So I was gonna shoot it at a small place at Cold Town Theater, which I used to host a a weekly Friday show called nivac cold town and but during that time uh it was the funniest person in austin contest so now a comedian want to perform their five minute set for that competition so i thought man it would be very selfish of me to get that theater so i could shoot my special while other comedian had to like perform their five minute set for the competition so you know i just didn't thought about recruiting a special, but people kind of knew about it. So uh, a guy named James Jackson approached me about doing it at the Stateside Paramount because he used to do shows there, like theater shows and stuff. And once that idea got into my head, I kind of become obsessed with it. I thought, man, even if like it doesn't work out, it'll be exciting. Yeah. So that's how it happened. And um, yeah. things just started rolling from there. It, it was pretty nerve wracking trying to fill out that theater.
0: Yeah, it's like that, that theater is like 300, 400 seats.
2: Uh, I said 300.
0: Yeah, it's huge theater.
2: Yeah, and uh, to be honest, uh, the Austin Chronicle helped a lot. Probably, while the Austin Chronicle, I would probably sold half.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. They, they they put you on their cover leading up to that up special, right?
2: That's yeah, awesome. I didn't think I'd be on the cover because uh, a comedian homie of mine, uh, Karina Maggard, uh, she writes for the Austin Chronicle and, uh, you know, she wanted to do, interview me for the Austin Chronicle, but she didn't say that it's for the cover and she probably didn't know about it. So after she interviewed me, uh, she told me, yeah, it will come out on Friday. But I checked their website on Thursday before it came out, and it looked like I was on the cover. I just saw it in digital format, and I remember it's I was so just walking on air yeah. the whole day. It's like a sense of huge sense of accomplishment, yeah
0: yeah that's that's really cool. that's like uh it's almost like instant fame, and the stars aligned for you to do this show,
2: yeah. I felt like, yeah, it definitely aligned for me to do that. I think a lot of people wanted to see that a lot of artists, because they tell me afterward how much like it meant to them and how cool it was. So I feel like a lot of artists want to like do it big, but that's something holding them back. So to see me do it, it's like I don't know, it's something in them that they want to experience too.
0: Hmm. That that is interesting. Like, do you think that that there's there's something about your approach or there's something that you overcame in order to go big like that?
2: I had to overcame um a lot of comedians. Well, probably the only comedian named Sam Harder, which is one of my uh best comedian homies, was part of a rap group called Yin Yang Brothers. Uh, he kept telling me don't do it yeah i'll do 30 minute
0: so so you so you did not listen to him then obviously? um
2: yeah i didn't listen to him i think as an artist it's good to like to an extent follow your intuition rather than your peers because mm-hmm. your peers they probably never like attempt to go to where you're gonna go like what you're trying to achieve so to them it's scary like we all have fear of failure that's holding us back but once you go through the process you find out like even if it doesn't live up to your expectation the experience is so rich like after doing that i have no problem like throwing shows or um hosting shows uh to where I'm afraid people are not gonna show up. I mean that still happened, but it's like, okay, I'm used to this pressure now. Getting used to pressure is uh I think it's a very important thing. Like acclimate yourself to the pressure to where you know that hey it's a mental thing. It's not gonna kill me. Yeah. So it's a big jump for anybody that like just go for it. Cause the more that uh the more pain you feel, the more you learn. And as human, we learn through pain, we learn through disappointment, through experience.
0: That seems like a pretty common thread when people are are doing stand up. Um, like, because when you're doing stand up, you know how you get better is is there's, And you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't done stand up before, but this is what I hear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like comedians they have to practice through a lot of doing a lot of open mics and shows. You know, there's a grind yeah. and, you yeah. know, in, in a way, like the most valuable. Why? Why do you need that grind as a stand up comedian?
2: Um, the grind is to help you, I would say, develop your material. So let's say you have like when you first write your material, right? Let's say you write a paragraph of stuff. So you go up there, you try it out and you find out what works and what doesn't. And uh, a big part about being a comedian is cutting out the fat and adding more punchline and laughter to it. And being in front of a crowd help you feel uh, overcome that social anxiety when it comes to public speaking. And it takes a lot of like trying out new things, trying out new lines, or yeah. to create craft a good bit that you can do it over and over again and have like the same reaction. You're trying to get that bit to have like the same reaction every time you perform it, like a huge amount of people laugh, which doesn't always happen, but you want your material to where you're so confident about it that you don't even second guess it when you're performing to where you don't feel like you're pulling from your head. You're going, uh, 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 unless that's your style on purpose. But every comedian would want to go up there and feel confident, to where when they perform it, the audience think that they're doing it in the moment, but they've been crafting this bit. That's why they're so confident saying it.
0: What's the worst you've ever bombed?
2: The worst I've ever bombed. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think of a time I bombed to where I couldn't pick my face up. Um. I mean, I go to a lot of open mic and I try out a lot of new stuff. Um, I don't think I ever bomb hard enough to where I, I would say that, hey, I suck. I mean, there's some show that I did where I wish that I could have done better. So I said the mm-hmm. worst one I did was uh, I did a show at, um, at Bahati Chicken Place, right? And uh, I got hit up while I was kind of like named down in bed off of a shroom trip because I just got done <laughs> tripping on shrooms. So I was just in bed, right? So a comedian uh-huh. hit me up because they need an uh, extra microphone. If I give him the microphone, I could do a set. So I was like, yeah, I'll go over there. So I gave them like uh, the microphone and stuff. Yeah. And there was like four people in the audience and they were there to like eat chicken and whatnot. And then I just did a set where I just, like, used most of the time to, like, riff on the audience, and I felt like I could have gave them a better performance. Even though there's only four people, I felt like I could uh, kill it (laughs) if I uh, was more professional, I guess. So that still stuck to me until that day. It made me want to go there and perform at that chicken joint in front of four people because I felt like I bombed.
0: So really the stateside is, is not like, the stateside is like this high pinnacle that you reached, but now your Everest is that chicken place.
2: Yeah, it's weird that um, certain things is not into my memory more than some other events. So people say that you only remember the best and the worst of time. The best Time I felt in comedy was I did an open mic at Austin Java where Andrew Murphy used to host. And it's at the basement of a cafe. And uh, I performed just that day. There happened to be a group of blind people. And there's like one person guiding that group of blind people. They were really old blind people. So I thought before I go up, man, I'm going to bomb so hard in front of all these old people. So when I went up there, um, I said something about, um, yeah, you're hearing this voice. Uh, it's definitely Oriental. And then they kind of chuckle. And then I just went inside my bit, and I just kill it. Like, wow. That's when I find out that like, uh, even though people can't see you, if your dialogue and your bit is good, then uh, even like blind people could enjoy it. So I got the biggest high ever based off that open mic performance that's really cool yeah
0: so wait i have to ask like what i know like mushroom trips last about six hours like what hour Mm -hmm. of the trip were you on when you got asked to do that set
2: um i think the the fourth or the fifth hour is to where i don't really see thing anymore but everything Mm -hmm. just feel like uh kind of loose like very vivid very detailed and uh when I'm on stream, I can't remember jokes and stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Would you try like a deaf audience?
2: Um, That's a great idea. Um, I would want to try to perform at a deaf audience again. I think that would be very, very cool. Not not oh no wait wait. I thought you said blind. I thought you <laughs> no, said blind. Like
1: you've done blind audience, but yeah. what about a deaf audience where you have to perform like completely visually? Um I don't have
2: enough body language uh signal to convey like what I'm talking about through sign language and stuff. Yeah. And whoever do my sign language, it'll be the hardest job ever. Yeah, <laughs> they probably won't get it.
0: Yeah, I bet it'd be more. I bet you get more mileage off of doing like slapstick, yeah, sketches or something.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to kind of write clean comedy now.
1: Oh, that's interesting. How come?
2: Because I just learned from this uh, promotional company that eighty um, percent or ninety percent of comedians. Never reach like the intended uh target audience for comedy because they're dirty, so their stuff don't get played on like the radio, a certain mm-hmm. avenue, because it's dirty. And most people that they could reach uh they couldn't reach them because they're dirty. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I didn't know there was such like a big demographic for queen comedy. But I feel like um if you wanna be dirty and you feel like that's not at your core, then maybe it's worth more to you than to go with your style instead of like adapting to this format. But I thought, hey, you know, if I'm writing comedy, I'm gonna keep my dirty stuff for my dirty stuff and if I have any clean joke, I should set that aside so I could um uh, shoot an audio album and let this company promote it for me so i could reach more target audience and then mm. you know slowly convert them into dirty <laughs> <laughs> they age
1: they can age into it <laughs> yeah
2: exactly age into it yeah but there's a lot of like um people that enjoy clean comedy like yeah not even the religious aspect of it, which I think, uh, but now queen comedy don't speak on religion or like put religion down and make fun of it. So that's considered queen too. Mm -hmm. Or if you speak on race or do like a joke that's, you know, you play around with racism, make joke about it. So that's considered dirty. Yeah. And you can't do like any explicit sex joke because that's considered dirty. You have to be like, yeah, I put the meat knife in the oven. You know what I mean? So
0: relatable, yeah. Like, how, like, it's has it been hard to write clean comedy?
2: Um, so I have stuff that are clean that are not dirty that I just write, like, Mm -hmm. just because I wrote them because I don't intend on writing dirty comedy, it's just that it's just uh the way of speaking and the way of expression, um, but. I have jokes that are not uh, dirty, like my joke about um, I just became a pescatarian, which means I can only eat animals that come from the sea, like hippopotamus. So that's very clean. Like, Yeah, so stuff like that, if uh, I come up with material like that, I put them aside for like, a clean comedy album. But most of my stuff right now is just dark. Like It just go with the theme of what the world is going through right now feel so like a lot of people is in a dark place they're going through a lot of emotional pain
0: yeah mm, yeah yeah do you feel like um that core that you mentioned is that like where you come from did you feel an affinity to darker and not clean comedy in a way that it is a challenge to move to clean comedy or is it just stepping stepping to the side and then doing something different
2: um, cause I find a lot of like sex jokes funny. Mm-hmm. So when you find sex jokes funny, you know, um, you tend to make joke where you punch nine in with the word pussy or dick or stuff like that. Something mm-hmm. revolve around a uh, human ejaculation. So once you do that or pooping and not pooping jokes, which I have a lot more than I like. <laughs> But, yeah, once you've grown an affinity to that and you see it working, so your mind kind of, like, rewires itself to go down that path. Yeah, or go down to, like, uh, an extreme path. Because comedy, a lot of it is about comparison. Like, comparing one extreme to another and then making it work. So, to do queen comedy, I might have to get baptized. Yeah, go get baptized <laughs> and uh be more observational I noticed are not a queen comedian are very observational mm-hmm. like they don't speak on like word topic or what's going on in the world and stuff because it's kind of dark if you speak on like depression or what people are going through you know with racism um, mm-hmm. gender sex all kind of stuff but if you're a queen comedian you can't be have to be observant, talk about family life, uh, talk about the toothbrush, talk about the highway, stuff like that, and uh, make it funny. And you can't really make fun of somebody else or roast them. So I admire cream comedian. They probably wouldn't have to dig hard to find that cream joke. They probably have better fans, too. Their fans are not like crazy or depressed.
1: would you say
0: that's your fan base right now
2: um I don't know I feel like my fan base is from the age of 25 to 40 where they are open minded and -hmm. I have a lot of old people that like my stuff so um yeah I would say my fan base is around that demographic and they're very open minded. Like I feel like people that enjoy my jokes are very open minded because I talk about a lot of stuff that's not not like PC. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I, yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that.
2: <laughs> yeah, my new joke is like so so crazy. Like I make fun of Islam and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tickle my, what's that phrase? Tickle my fancy.
0: Have you ever been approached by anybody after a show who was offended by your material?
2: Um... No, I don't think so. Cause I feel like my material is so silly, and I make them that silly on purpose, where nobody get offended. Like grabbing by the angel pussy, and they squirt out a rainbow. Like if you're offended by that, ones. then uh, then I don't know what to tell uh-huh. you. You know, you couldn't even watch cartoon without getting offended. I feel like some people are like if we get too offended by everything, we're giving away our rights. You know how that cartoon character just got cancelled? He's like a skunk or something? a pew. Whatever. No. Yeah. What? what did he do? He kissed a female skunk? Without her consent. No, it's
1: a cat. It's a little it's a little rapey skunk that likes a cat, but he thinks the cat is a skunk also.
2: Oh, so so, what did he do? Does he kiss it? or what did he do?
1: Yeah, just like kiss, hug, hug. Uh, wants to mate with the cat.
2: Yeah. So I thought about that right specific thing today, right? Like you know, they canceling this character because they're afraid of what kids getting influenced by this cat, this skunk, skunk, skunk. And I feel like which kid watch a cartoon and be like, hey, I want to be just like that skunk. Same way you watch the Lion King, you'd be like, hey, I want to be like Scar instead of Simba or, you know, Simba Dad. Well, there's a framing
0: to that, right? Because Scar is framed as a villain and Simba is the hero of that story. Peppa the Pew is like the protagonist of those specific sketches in those Looney cartoons. And it's not framed as anything specifically Um. It's like this background thing, right? This is just a questionable yeah. consent to those actions. And so mm. it in a way it in you know in certain people's opinions it will cr- contribute to rape culture because it's like, oh, this is acceptable behavior. Now, if you say like this is like people are being canceled, I mean, I don't know if there was an outrage or anything that led to this. I think it was more that uh Warner Brothers probably decided on their own to remove this. Because yeah. you know, the 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 definition of consent and what is acceptable behavior in sexual relations is kind of ever evolving in the society. And yeah. I, I I think to at some point I think I would be un- uncomfortable watching that in a movie. Yeah. So, you know, that that's that's that side of the argument.
2: Yeah. I mean, to me is right. Um, I feel like in a movie we watch, right? Movie are exciting because that's like a villain, right? The more evil that villain is, the more that we feel like a sense of, oh shit, this is gonna be exciting, right? And in movie we watch, a uh, villain rape people, and they do some bad things, right? Mm-hmm. So to like cancel like certain aspect out, you're canceling out kind of like. The art because you can't separate the art from your own morality. So we well, keep. Well, that's this the thing, thing
0: like, though. Like, Pepe LaPio is never a villain. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: No, just a regular oh, yeah? skunk doing skunk it, things. Okay, then.
2: Uh, hey, I mean, I don't feel enough about this skunk to, you know, kind of defend it. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> I don't watch it, but my point is, right, uh, I hope we don't get to the point where uh, we're canceling out art because our morality comes in, because that morality thing might get to a point where it'll be like North Korea-ish, when like everything was subject to have to be under like uh, some sort of, uh, you have to pass through some threshold to be viewed and that kind of like i don't know it just kills a lot of art
0: sure yeah i mean yeah especially if it's government censorship right yeah um that would be like if the government starts censoring things that would be the worst because then no like it'd be very hard to muster the power to fight against that kind of thing yeah um
2: you know uh the movie the watchman y'all seen the watchman Mm Yeah. You have, right? Yeah, I read the um, graphic novel. That, yeah, that's a character in there that raped the Joker, right? He rapes one of the hero, Mm hmm. Yeah. The female hero. Yeah, he raped her. And um, let's put it in this scenario. Imagine if they canceled The Watchman because of that, right? Like, oh man, this character raped. But that also gave him, like, that darkness. Like, they explained, like, his origin, how he got to the point where he do not give a fuck. And there's also redemption on the person that he raped. She forgave him, like she's like, you know, it happened a long time ago. I'm over it. She forgave him, even though well, her there's daughter a couple hasn't. of there's a couple yeah, of things see. that are
0: problematic about that. One, because like I think of an overwhelmingly large proportion of female characters in stories mm-hmm. are you know defined by trauma. For example, there's like this trope around like how. Uh, the only way male writers know how to give female characters depth is by uh, giving them trauma, you know, getting yeah. them raped, and so yeah. there's there's like there's some problematic uh, as- sides of that. But besides that, you know, if we so let's acknowledge that. Um, but I don't. I wouldn't want to cancel Watchmen. I think it's a very good graphic novel in the way it tries to subvert uh, superheroes and paint them in a uh, fascist. Light. yeah um, that being said, it was written in like the 80s or the 70s um around yeah. the around that yeah, period but, uh, so 80s. you know standards have changed i wouldn't say if if people tried to uh, cancel it purely because of the existence of rape in that story I don't think I would agree with mm. that canceling yeah. um, because um, it's not endorsing rape and it's not normalizing that behavior the character that does it is a piece of shit and yeah uh, you're not meant to look up to him he does like so many other atrocious things in that comic including like oh yeah just beating up like civilian protesters for no reason shooting vietnamese yeah. civilians during the vietnam war in the face he he got a vietnamese yeah. woman pregnant mm. and shot her in the face yeah I so understand. like yep. that's the that, i think the i think the difference very is weird. What was that
2: they gave him a very dark origin story? I just thought it's very
1: American that character.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Like- I mean, I no mean, lie, like during the Vietnam War, some of that shit is probably went on. A
1: lot of that shit went on. Yeah.
2: See, I think that was like a uh, part of that comic is a reflection of that time that that went on.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, but I think it's it's something like they're framing, though, right? So, if that character yeah. did those things, but then mm-hmm. was framed as like the ultimate good guy, or then yeah. then that would be an endorsement of those behaviors. Either that, or yeah. if if those behaviors were just glossed over and not yeah. presented in a negative light, then that would be problematic because, like, what are you normalizing in the society?
2: Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah.
0: I mean, so, yeah, I, I, I do get what you're, where you're coming from, though, right? Because there's a spectrum of to like th- what cancel culture tries to cancel, you know, on, on the one end, it's people uh, not really being critical of the context of the way things are presented. They're not being critical of what the artist is trying to do with that thing. And in those cases, yeah, I would disagree, right? Like, maybe it could also be, like, people trying to take advantage of the situation in those contexts, or the lack of context in those situations.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. I feel, um, like, you heard of the Netflix movie Cuties? Where they have Mm the little girls, and they dance, like, strippers and stuff? Yeah. Like, they, they put on, like, outfits, and then they dance and stuff. I just saw, like, the trailer for it. I was like oh, my God, this shouldn't be, like, on Netflix. They have a big bash over that to where, like, people canceled their subscription and the stock went down. I felt like um, that, you have to, like, be aware of, like, the content you put out when you're over-sectionizing, like, young female. Because, you know, kids might watch that and be influenced because of the cool dance move and the good music. So I feel like stuff like that definitely need to like be uh kind of like filtered out to where to a point where you understand that, hey man, this uh I'm not sure if you call this art because it doesn't even seem that original based on like the part line. But it just have like no girls showing their body and kind of like, imitating adult at a young age so that's something that I was against when I first heard news of it
0: mm. I have not seen that movie and I've heard various takes but yeah the topic yeah. of like pedophilia is a very touchy topic
2: yeah yeah yeah. Hey, I guess we're touching other topics tonight huh
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I For mean sure.
2: yeah. yeah talking about the censorship of art and when art is like going too far it's like I don't even want people like under a certain age to listen to my comedy
1: mm-hmm. it's like, not up to the, you to censor yourself though the parents gotta pay attention to shit
2: well I feel like my comedy um, even if you're a kid uh, you listen to it it wouldn't appeal to you like
1: you wouldn't be scared.
2: No, it just it just doesn't like you're not at an age where your mind kind of work like that yet. It'll be boring to you. It'll be like if I was giving out a speech and it doesn't make sense to where you find those type of stuff kind of like funny. Yeah, I don't think kids would enjoy my stuff. I really don't, cause kid they're like physical stuff. That's why no kid like oh man, I'm really into stand up comedy. This is my favorite stand up comedian. Uh. Fucking uh, Bill Burr. You know what I mean? Like, no young kid says that. Like, no young kid is really into stand up comedy, unless they wanted to become a stand up comedian at an early age. But stand up comedy is not like something kids or teenagers do. In your teenage year, were you into stand up comedy? No, right?
1: Yeah. Yes. You what? Like, <laughs> like who? Like, who? <laughs> who? It was like, maybe, oh man, now I think maybe it was college or high school. More yeah, like, college. More control. Like, yeah. When you didn't
2: feel like it was something that's like cool, like, wow, this is the thing.
1: It I just, didn't. Uh, it seemed like fun, but... I was more into
2: rap music. I was way more into rap music. Yeah. Mm, are you, are yeah. you saying
0: that there's like something complex about stand-up that younger people wouldn't quite grasp?
2: I think younger people, they like more like uh, physical stand-up comedy. That's why a lot of physical comedians, they tour worldwide because people that don't understand the language or the sense of humor, especially if you're an English stand-up comedian, you have to have a good way with words, and that's like a lot of pun or a lot of subtle word that uh, if somebody doesn't understand English or they're used to sarcastic humor or irony, uh, they won't get it. To where if you're like a guy that act out a car on an ant carrying a Dorito chip, like Seinfeld or even Kevin Hart style of comedy, then people would get the, the physical action. So they would laugh at that rather than you saying some bit about
1: Islam and uh Rainbow Pussy. I wouldn't get offended when people make Asian jokes. Let's see. Yeah. Let's let's hear some of your Vietnamese jokes. You got to apply it to your own people.
2: Okay. Um, here's a, here's a Asian joke, okay? Here's how I started off. Like, hey, you better listen to me when um, I'm doing comedy and laugh or else I consider it Asian hate crime. I feel like um, I don't have to worry about getting beat up as an Asian in Austin. Because most people in Austin watch anime. Before you kick my ass. Have you seen Dragon Ball Z? It's life changing. And then I went. Um, if I ever see a group of kids going up to me. Trying to beat me up. Here's what I do. I say. Hey man. I'm not Asian. I'm Mexican with a twist. When an age, when a Mexican lives comfortably and relax. He looks very Asian. His eyes get smaller. Because as a Mexican, you always have to look out for shit. Like, you have to look out for uh, the cartel, you have to look out for the police, you have to look out for ICE, you have to look out for the chuba An In Asian, the only thing we have to look out for is cars. Yeah, that's a joke why I make fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a- so, it's a, it's a, it's a play on the stereotype that Asian or bad driver. Oh.
1: Yeah. It's usually like uh. Asian women are bad drivers or the, is the. Yeah. Like... I'm still working
2: on it, but you see how silly that is, but I make fun of Asian and Mexican.
1: Wait, wait, can we get some white jokes? I want you to punch upwards. Punch upward? Yeah. You always gotta punch up. Like all the rich people, white people. Um, I don't remember right now, but I do have
2: some white jokes that make white people kind of uncomfortable. Do they leave?
1: Do they get up at a show and then, ugh?
2: No, I can feel the buttholes, uh, clenching before, uh, I finish it. That's a great feeling. Really? There's a joke that I have that, uh, make white people uncomfortable before they even get it. There's a joke, um... I got very depressed during COVID because all the shows got shut down. So I, I was watching a Dave Chappelle comedy to feel inspired. And I noticed that Dave Chappelle used the N-word in his comedy a lot. And he would even use the N-word as a punchline to a joke. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. What word can I use for Asian that's equivalent to the N-word? And I thought about it for a very long time. And the only word I could came up with was Accountant, and that joke worked really good in front of black people, but in some white people place where it's like uh more like uh conservative white, like in Troystown or other place, I feel them crunching when I say uh Dave Chappelle used the N word a lot. Like I feel that guilt already. So their mind is so wrapped up that they don't know how silly the punchline is, which is accountant. And that's also making fun of Asian, like, you know, accountant. And then my, my tag is Hey, what's up, my accountant? Do you want to hit the strip club and make it rain on them hoes proportionally? It's so silly that's like. So I'm making fun of
1: Asians don't tip. So yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> I might have that tag. Uh, there's no raining, there's only like a drought. If you bring yeah, us to a strip club, there's, like, nothing happening. We brought our own water bottles and shit. We <laughs> even packed our own snacks. <laughs> That's great, yeah. <laughs> shit.
2: That's so great. I'm writing this stuff down right now. Thank you so much. Y'all should help me write. I help <laughs> you write, too.
1: Is this your writing process? Do you whip something out on a notepad? Uh Yeah, sometimes I write down, like, freeform. So I find it very important
2: to freeform write without, like, judging it, good or bad.
1: Do you use a computer at all or are you like a stickler for like using paper so that you can have work
2: when I don't have a computer but my first wrap I like uh all on pen and paper just free write and don't put anything on it when I care? cut it when I cut it up I put it on the on computer because it's easier to copy and paste because I they need stuff put stuff in they need stuff that would be very tedious on a, a notepad.
1: Have you tried like the voice notes like Google notes or like where you say your lines and then it just turns it into text and it yeah. also makes the audio? Yeah, I tried that,
2: but I, I'm i not accustomed to using it yet. I just like record it and never look at it.
1: I guess I'll ask you about the
2: hustle the hustle questions. Okay, the hustle about making money, right?
1: Well, the different hustles you have, like motivational speaking, there's a the rap group, and then there's also like, you're recording sketches. And I think you've been doing like photo shoots, or maybe that's for the sketches when you're booking places. Um, I'm not doing any photo shoot.
2: Um, I shoot sketches because I think sketches are fun. Um I threw a comedy show where comedians show their sketches and then they perform stand up afterwards which I thought it's a very great idea and it was a fun show. Um I like sketches cause I like to like add like a, a visual element to some stuff. I enjoy visual art. Looks like it was really fun to shoot. Oh yeah. Shooting sketches is fun. It's like one of the most fun thing you can do. I don't know why people don't more people do it. It's really fun. And once you have it online, you're going to watch it again.
1: Y'all should do the Ghost Dad one.
2: Oh, man. Uh, I just saw this sketch uh, on the Asian hate crimes.
1: Oh, wow. Somebody did a sketch on that?
2: Yeah, I I wrote a sketch on that. And, uh, oh, okay. I, I have a friend kind of like rewrite it to where they kind of oh. add more jokes to it and stuff. Cause he's better at like writing sketches. But yeah, we shot it. And uh I think it'll be fun for people to watch. See if uh they get offended.
0: How how is writing sketches different from writing stand up?
2: Writing sketch is like you have to kinda like create real life characters. And the more those characters don't know, the more kinda like funnier. Cause, uh if the character know everything then he's good he's like a superhero then be like an action movie but the more that character don't know anything the more funny it is if you look at all the sketches right that SNL do there's always a character playing dumb like this person's president but don't know how to act like a president or this person's superhero but don't know what it needs to be a superhero or like this person racist but don't even know it or this person is not racist but he just say racist stuff because he don't know it so with Sketch, you have to create a character and have that character not know something on his way to finding out something, and he'll fall and tripping on the way until he finds it. But once he finds it, it's not funny anymore. It's just like,
1: yeah. It's almost like a K-drama, too. I feel like yeah. they use the same formula <laughs> that you're using. If you think about it, right, a thing,
2: Sketch, or, or, or formula, is like uh something... And a character has to get to something, and then it just builds yeah. up. Like, you see the pressure build up. All like these do it secrets. More and more. More. Yeah. Yeah. And if Depends you think Depends
1: which piece.
2: Yeah. And uh, a lot of stuff, or like, a lot of movies and play that we saw are based off of Shakespeare. I feel like Shakespeare, he did like a lot of like like, structure, blueprint for, like, what human emotion, what we fight over, and all the tragedy. It's, like, in all of his play. So you feel like another movie, modern movie you see now, is based on, like, Shakespeare's theme.
1: I think it's, even that's based off of a great tragedy, so.
2: Yeah, I think even Shakespeare is, like, based off of stuff. But. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like if you, like, read other Shakespeare, is a great for, like,
1: writing stuff. So I now have some personal questions. Yes. So you grew up in Vietnam. I remember us like talking about this briefly. Yeah. How long has it been since you moved here?
2: I went here while I was five. I'm 33 now, so that's 28 years.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. Like, do you ever go back for visits?
2: Um. Yeah, I went back uh three three years ago visit my hometown
1: where did you grow up here or in houston or somewhere else
2: um after when i first got to america we was was in uh, san francisco for a little bit where they dropped all the asians off and we kind of drove to austin we had some ground to up here we stayed with my uncle for a bit until we got our own apartment
1: Wow. I also live with my uncle for a bit I of here. I
2: think that's a very Asian thing to do, to live with your uncle until you yeah. get to your age. Yeah. She's like six months in. Yeah. There's <laughs> Vietnamese people going through the same process right now. It's it's a process that we go through. Come on, ask more personal questions. Um, how did you
1: deal with the differences between the two cultures? I guess you're really young, so
2: yeah, I was so young that uh, when I went on an airplane, right, I needed to use the bathroom, and they pointed to me, it's that way. I didn't know how to turn the door handle because I never Ooh. used a door before. I was born in a village like in Vietnam where like you had to get water from somewhere and then carry it. You had to boil it, no electricity and everything. So I never had like a door, so I didn't know how to open the door. So I just went back to my seat and pee in my pants. Yeah, I did it twice. What's <laughs> a long ass flight? <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: Did, did you get any looks on that flight?
2: Um, I think it's like a a secret flight. It felt like a secret flight because the U.S. just sent airplane to pick us up, which uh. Uh-huh. Which is kind of like, not something they do, you know? It was a rumor that they're going to come back for us. But nobody knows for sure. So, Mm -hmm. when it happened, it's like a snap of the moment thing. We had to, like, probably have, like, one or two days to prepare.
1: That sounds, like, pretty traumatic.
2: Um, history is pretty dramatic.
1: Yeah, but...
2: Yeah, uh, but they do have, like, uh... White female stewardess on the on that airplane. So when my first reaction is seeing like a white stewardess, like wow, she's a giant. They have giants in America.
1: <laughs> how did you like? How did you transition into being a comedian? Um I was working at a t and t
2: which is a a car center job um yeah. I deal with phone support and chat support, so every day we have to like you know take calls from customer and it's kind of draining me every day I would go to Barnes and Noble just to like read a book or something i I would read on autobiography biography and motivational book, but sometimes I hit the gym after after work because I do drive like far from south to north, and then Fugerville, Less an hour or an hour, two hour waiting in traffic. So I would just go there tonight, wait till traffic's over there and drive home, then only take 20 minutes. So I remember I wanted to make a little bit more money, right? So I was studying for this thing, uh, A-plus certification, have you heard of it? Now you like, once you get a certification, you could come like a help desk person. Like a person, like an IT person in a company, where the computer doesn't work, they'll call you. But then I was looking at all the IT person, right, at AT AT&T, and all of them looked sad. Like, they looked so sad. They looked very, very sad. And I remember sitting there studying this big-ass book, and you had to remember, like, all of it. I was like, wow, is this life? Like, is this Where my knife is headed. I'm like 27 or 25 years old. Is this it for me? It just feels very like bleak. Like wow. I have nothing higher to aim for. Than making $25, $30 an hour. If I do this. So that's when I decide completely. Like, Fuck that. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. But uh, it's not going to be studying. Or getting a degree. So I would just hit the gym. And uh, at work, I used to crack a lot of jokes, right? Some inappropriate, some appropriate. But I was just cracking a lot of jokes. And they said, Ty, you're so funny. You should do stand-up comedy. And I did it without telling anybody until I got better. And I posted my first video on Facebook, and they saw it. And they thought, wow. That's amazing, and they they even let me do comedy at one of their town hall meetings, the a t and t town hall meeting, and while I was doing comedy, like the manager, the big boss there was like, seemed like he almost had a heart attack, If you wanted of my joke, yeah, but he let me finish, yeah, uh, I did a ten minute bit, and I just made fun of the company all of their phone product. At the end, uh, it deal with uh, workplace shooting.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Oh, yeah. damn. <laughs> yeah, but it, so but
2: good. I, yeah, but I was killing it. It's like a big high. It gave me so much confidence in myself. Cause I wrote that stuff like just a day before. Because I didn't like, you know, I can't really do any of my regular jokes. So I just made fun of like the whole company. How was the yeah. audience reception? very very now it's like stuff that they want to say stuff that we tell each other but you can't really say it because you work for a company yeah yeah i mean i'm making fun of nokia because their phone sucks yep i was never asked to do comedy again after that don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> i know this game like man if this shit get out i'm gonna be in trouble so
1: you mentioned doing motivational speaking at some point
2: Yeah. Um, Are you still? um, Motivational speaking is something that uh, I thought about doing, because it might be more rewarding than stand-up comedy. You go, and then you tell your story, and you motivate uh, people. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I really don't know about the transition. I just write a lot of jokes. But... It would be cool to add a motivational aspect to my comedy.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's not like there's like open mics for uh, motivational speaking. There's not exactly like yeah. a, a obvious door to get into it like there is with stand up.
2: Yeah. Life but coach. Yeah, life coach. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What about, about it appeals uh, to you specifically?
2: Um I find that, uh, people that do motivational speaking, they affect, uh, a lot of people. Because a lot of people might be down, or, not, like, they feel they have nowhere to go. Now, if they went and watched, a uh, motivational speaking, and that might spark something in them. Oh, I might, uh, I thought about going, uh, the teaching comedy route. Because, uh, a guy asked me to, uh, help him, uh, by stand comedy and I spent an hour and 30 minutes with him and now he's just killing it at the open mic. It's like I'm able to transfer all my knowledge within this five-year comedy to somebody within a short time very fast. Like help him, like yeah um you know that nine is too easy or you have too much fat you should uh dig for a deeper nine but you could keep this nine for now and use it to hone your speaking skill, but always know that this line can be replaced with another line that punch much harder.
0: Have you considered doing, like, stand-up comedy classes?
2: Yeah, I definitely thought about it, and I felt like uh, I quantified for it. So it's just a matter of time. Um, I kind of want to put out uh, another comedy product, but I'm going to start giving out... Uh, since I host an open mic every Tuesday now at the Santa Cruz Theater, um, I'm going to let some stand-up comedian know that, hey, I could help you with your shit. Yeah. See how that goes. Because uh, the impression that I have on uh, the first guy is like very tremendous.
0: Mm. So, so going back to some of the uh, motivational speaking stuff, I noticed on your... Uh, social media accounts you're really into the artist Ramin Nazir. Is, yeah you, I like is, is is his um, is his style is his philosophies uh, is that kind of related to why you're into motivational speaking partly?
2: Um not specifically I like his art it's like he kind of like pushed like metaphysic and spirituality But not in a way where it's like, put it in your face. Because he draw a cartoon character. And it's so cartoony that you look at it and you're like, oh, wow. This helped me expand my mind just by looking at this cartoon. So I feel like his stuff is very well crafted. If you listen, you read a word and the image. It's like, wow, this motherfucker take time to create this where it's kind of like eye-opening, but not like wishy-washy so Mm -hmm. he walked a thin line between that that's why i think he have a a lot of fans and a lot of people that say hey your image really helped me get through tough time Mm -hmm.
0: yeah Yeah, the 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 free-flowing style of it and the bright colors it actually reminds me of midnight gospel have you seen that on netflix
2: uh no you should watch it i recommend it oh what's it about
0: um it's 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 like a... It was made by Duncan Trussell and Pendleton Ward. Oh, and... shit.
2: I've seen an episode of it. That's exactly, yeah. like, his topic. Like, the stuff he makes is like mm-hmm. that. Like, Midnight yeah. Gospel. Kind of tell you how, like, darkness or pain, tragedy kind of have mm-hmm. a place in this universe, which is yeah. kind of true. Like, we evolved through pain whether we like or not. Or else yeah. we just be comfortable. Like, kind of suck that we need pain to get up on our ass but yeah if i was comfort comfy, i wouldn't be doing nothing
0: <laughs> yeah i feel like those are that that uh that aesthetic and those like kind of phil- philosophical beliefs uh they're definitely they're in that realm of like yeah I, i've I taken think... mushrooms <laughs> And these yeah. are the you're conclusions that I've truth? come to. Yeah.
2: I think uh, those type of art really help people. Because like, when you feel trapped, right? You feel like you're inside a situation that nobody can understand. And you can't get out of it, right? Because your mind is mm-hmm. so fixated on this problem, right? Looking at that make you like kind of like take a step back and be like, hey, is there a greater purpose for this? And if I interpret it differently... How could this help me? So that kind of helped you come up with a solution or not take this problem so serious where you just drain in it. So I feel like the more perception people have, they have more route in their brain to not worry or find out different paths and stuff. So that's why like, conscious, expanding art is great for humanity. So I think artists are going to change the world. Because you know how like, to create art, right? To do it full-time, you have to get out of survival mode. And a lot of people are in survival mode because we have bills to pay and stuff. But once you're out of survival mode, you could uh, kind of like, sit back and enjoy art. Like, huh, what would I do with my life? Oh, I'm going to create something. So imagine the whole world is out of survival mode. Like, if y'all don't have to pay the bill anymore. Well, what would you do with your life? You want you to like podcast and you, and you just do podcasts, right? You like exactly. Star Trek and you build that future with your friends that want to have a Star Trek future. But <laughs> so I think I it's mean, very Star important. Trek was a socialist
0: society, right? Yeah. So, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know yeah that. like it was like they don't have currency anymore. Nobody has to work yeah. to survive. And then it's just like you have Food to. Food can
1: you know, just appear from machines. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, you don't yeah. have to shit anymore. You can just take a pill. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh?
2: Yeah, but what evolving, so who knows what we'll evolve to? Yeah. Yeah. You might become an alien pretty soon.
0: There is a theory that we, we will evolve into the uh the gray aliens because our heads are getting bigger. We're getting lankier. Yeah. Uh,
1: are we getting are we getting lankier? Tell me more. <laughs>
0: i'm sorry that was a that was a heightest statement
2: yeah
1: Mm. but not
2: only you and again thank you (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're the future i think in the future we'll probably evolve to where we don't have to procreate with genitals we just (laughs) do it through energy that's why those aliens don't have genitals
1: and they could fly everywhere
0: i mean as long as it feels as good you know. and they're
1: so interested in like everybody else's genitals that they find on different planets
2: oh yeah definitely because they kind of like know everything so, about yeah the they, they just yeah. want to watch yeah i just want to watch and move they got to rid of their cows, cows. <laughs> yeah
0: they got rid of their genitals but they couldn't get rid of their kinks
2: yeah oh they pick up human and like do surgery on them and stuff they do surgery on me. I'm like, hey, give me a big dick.
1: Hear that, aliens? <laughs>
2: Hear that? That's my message to you. Make it the same corner, okay?
1: Wait, wait, but, but if they give <laughs> me a big dick, but would you want, like, <laughs> tiny balls? Huh?
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, I want balls. I want big balls, too. It would be weird. That's like, I might not have a big dick at all if the balls did not match. They're not just like a freak. It's like, ah! Yeah. But some girls might be into that. Some really weird girls. Yeah. I could sell my dick as an N- NFT. <laughs> well, yeah, Somebody you else
0: would that. own it, though
2: um dude if you are sanavity and you sell dick pic nft people will buy that shit in a heartbeat like hey this is the only picture of my dick that was taken with my consent yeah,
0: yeah. you need, there need there's probably yeah that would be interesting yeah. like if there's like a black market or like an adult nft market
2: oh yeah probably- definitely i think i have a a webcam Girls will uh, adopt NFT once like they find out about the technology and sell it to the OnlyFans viewer.
0: Yeah, you know, like what if OnlyFans adopted NFT, huh?
2: Um, I think they they will to like maximize profit and they charge the the people a fee to make the NFT. Yeah, so that's only making more money for them. So, Heidi. So, Norman said that, you know, um, it's about time. So, yeah, Nia, in this podcast with a good outro instead of big pick NFT. Oh. Yeah. Probably <laughs> something more value, right? Give them some gems.
1: Oh, so, uh... Uh, if you were to motivate our podcast audience to create art and not to feel let down by any current circumstances, what would you mm. say? I say um follow your intuition. Like if you have a
2: desire, you have to follow it. And uh in order you for achieve that desire, it'll go through it'll make you go through the things that that um you have to go through like what what you want before to get to that level. So you probably go through a lot of challenges, but throughout those challenges, you learn a lot about yourself and uh, everything that held you back. So you adopt a lot of different belief system. Uh, You probably become a different person. Uh, You have more perspective and you get to see people in different ways just because you have that desire to become an artist and you work toward achieving it. So you put yourself on a journey.
1: I think that's great. Thank you so yeah. much for agreeing to interview with us, Ty.
2: Oh, no problem. Uh, it's pretty fun, better than I expected. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad we uh, exceeded your expectations. Once again, you can find and win. On Facebook at TyneWin five one two and on Instagram at TyneWin with a Z at the end, so TyneWin Z. Uh, and thank you, thank you so much, Ty. This was a very interesting conversation.
2: I yeah. don't oh, know, Palm. It's podcast for kids or adults? Mm-hmm. children.
1: A... For sure. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, i don't so go so. over their heads, but yeah.